history, apologetics, and current events. From the housetops, coming up next. The Liturgical Year by Abbot Garin J. Ash Wednesday. As we approach the solemn fast of Lent, the season of expiation, and the great anniversaries of our redemption, let us rouse ourselves and prepare for the spiritual combat. But in this battling of the spirit against the flesh, we need good armor. Our Holy Mother, the Church, knows how much we need it, and therefore does she summon us to enter into the house of God that she may arm us for the holy contest. What this armor is we know from St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. Have your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of justice, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In all things taking the shield of faith, take unto you the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Ephesians 6:14-17. St. Peter the Apostle also addresses these solemn words to us, Christ, having suffered in the flesh, be ye also armed with the same thought. 1 Peter 4.1 We are entering today upon a long campaign of the warfare spoken of by the apostles, forty days of battle, forty days of penance. We shall not turn cowards if our souls can but be impressed with the conviction that the battle and the penance must be gone through. Let us listen to the eloquence of the solemn rite which opens our Lent. Let us go where our Holy Mother teaches us, that is, to the scene of the fall. The enemies we have to fight with are of two kinds, internal and external. The first are our passions, the second are the devils. Both were brought on us by pride, and man's pride began when he refused to obey his God. God forgave him his sin, but he punished him. The punishment was death, and this was the form of the divine sentence, Thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. Genesis 3.19 Oh, that we had remembered this! The recollection of what we are and what we are to be would have checked that haughty rebellion which has so often led us to break the law of God. And if, for the time to come, we would persevere in loyalty to Him, we must humble ourselves, accept the sentence, and look on this present life as a path to the grave. The path may be long or short, but to the tomb it must lead us. Remembering this, we shall see all things in their true light. We shall love that God who has deigned to set his heart on us, notwithstanding our being creatures of death. We shall hate with deepest contrition the insolence and ingratitude wherewith we have spent so many of our few days of life, that is, in sinning against our Heavenly Father. And we shall be not only willing, but eager to go through these days of penance which he so mercifully gives us for making reparation to his offended justice. This was the motive the Church had in enriching her liturgy with the solemn rite of Ash Wednesday. When upwards of a thousand years ago she decreed the anticipation of the Lenten fast by the last four days of Quinquagesima week, she instituted this impressive ceremony of signing the forehead of her children with ashes while saying to them those awful words wherewith God sentenced us to death, Remember, O man, that thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. But the making use of ashes as a symbol of humiliation and penance is of a much earlier date than the institution of Ash Wednesday. 
we find frequent mention of it in the Old Testament. The royal prophet tells us of himself that he mingled ashes with his bread because of the divine anger and indignation. Many such examples are to be met with in the sacred scriptures, but so obvious is the analogy between the sinner, who thus signifies his grief, and the object whereby he signifies it, that we read such instances without surprise. When fallen man would humble himself before the divine justice, which has sentenced his body to return to dust, how could he more aptly express his contrite acceptance of the sentence than by sprinkling himself or his food with ashes, which is the dust of wood consumed by fire? This earnest acknowledgment of his being himself but dust and ashes is an act of humility, and humility ever gives him confidence in that God who resists the proud and pardons the humble. An offering of the holy face of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father in order to appease his justice and draw down mercy upon us. Eternal Father, turn away thine angry gaze from our guilty people, whose face has become unsightly in thine eyes. Look instead upon the face of thy beloved Son, in whom you are well pleased. We now offer to you this holy face, covered with shame and disfigured by bloody bruises, in reparation for the crimes of our age, in order to appease thine anger, justly provoked against us. Because your divine Son, our Redeemer, has taken upon his head all the sins of his members, that they might be spared, we now beg you, Eternal Father, to grant us mercy. Amen. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let all those that hate him flee before his face. Convert us, O God, and show us thy face, and we shall be saved. May the thrice holy name of God overthrow all their plans. When we are in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, we do not take sufficient account of what it cost our Lord to descend so low. He was obliged to leave the bosom of his Father, where he was in God, to come down to earth and not to be received here, to take refuge in a stable and to escape death only by flight. He was obliged after thirty years of a laborious and hidden life, after three years employed in evangelizing the people and doing them good, and receiving in return calumnies, outrages, ignominy, and death, to survive by the institution of the Eucharist, in order to remain in the midst of the men who had treated him so unworthily. And from that time, O miracle of love, what horrors has he not been obliged to submit to? The very first time that he celebrated the Eucharist, he was buried alive, in company of the devil, in a stained conscience, in the soul of Judas. Since then, to what profanations, to what indignities has he not been subjected? The heretic denies him, the bad Christian is wanting in respect, the impious man blasphemes him. O Lord, how dearly thy love costs thee! Take thy flight once more to heaven, and free thyself from so many outrages. No, I will not. I love mankind too much to separate myself from them. Rather than deprive one single soul of the happiness of receiving and possessing me, I will submit to all kinds of ingratitude and all kinds of profanations. And so he traverses the ages, always and everywhere disowned, except by a small number of souls who know how to appreciate his love. All along the road he is unworthily treated, sometimes left desolate in the solitude of the tabernacles, sometimes despised and insulted. Finally, he reaches our heart in Holy Communion, laden with centuries of profanations. 
It was the object to which all his desires tended. He has attained it. He is in us. He is ours. He is content. The more he has suffered on the road, the more love he shows us. It is all that he desired. O love, how incomprehensible thou art! O love, can we ever appreciate thee as thou deserves? Can we ever thank thee, ever love thee enough? We ought to be profoundly touched by the outrages committed against so loving a God, above all by those which he receives during days of reparation and expiation. David and Jeremiah are melted to tears, fall down fainting, and are parched with grief at the sight of the sins of the ancient people. How would they feel if they could but witness the far more guilty sins of the new people? St. Teresa could not think of them without giving vent to cries of sorrow and of desolation. Independently of irreverences and profanations, the simple fact of the manner in which the tabernacles were forsaken seemed to distract her. She gathered her nuns together and exclaimed to them, My sisters, love is not loved. Let us love the love which is not loved. All the saints have felt the same grief at seeing the love of Jesus in the Eucharist, scorned by the ingratitude of men, and each time they had tidings of a profanation, it was as though a sword had pierced their soul. We must make reparation for all these evils by fervent, honorable amends to the Blessed Sacrament. Offer it in expiation of all our reverence, all the homage of the angels and the saints, all our actions and our life itself. Protest that it would be a happiness to us to shed our blood to spare it the least offense or to repair it. And finally, live today in a more holy manner than usual. Visit the Blessed Sacrament with more love. Communicate henceforth with more fervor. Assist at the holy sacrifice more piously and more frequently. From the Housetops Radio features the same Catholic doctrine, spirituality, church history, and apologetics published for over 40 years in From the Housetops magazine. This program, dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, promotes her cause in the age-old conflict with the powers of darkness. From the Housetops on WQPH 89.3 FM. We'll be back with more From the Housetops after this break. We're listening to 89.3 FM WQPH Shirley Fitchburg. In today's reading from Matthew chapter 6, Jesus cautions us to not perform religious deeds for show. Lent is a serious undertaking, requiring a certain hardiness and commitment. Our Lenten vow is like a ticket in hand. The mark on our forehead is a sign of our willingness to repent and follow the Gospels. Putting aside sin is no reason for gloom. We are moving forward by fasting and shedding that which does not bring us closer to Christ. We pray with focus on the will of God. Our lives are constant exercises of faith and charity towards others. We do this not for show, but knowing that we will be repaid with an abundance of joy and drawn closer to our loving Father. Praise the Lord, for He is good to us, leading us forward and bestowing His blessings upon us. This is Michael Gisandi for Divine Mercy Radio out of Melbourne, Florida. On the WQPH 89.3 FM community calendar, WQPH is very pleased to announce our first annual Shrove Tuesday brunch, which is going to take place on the Feast of the Holy Face, which is Shrove Tuesday, Tuesday, February 13th, the day before Ash Wednesday, from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. 
It's going to be at Slattery's Restaurant, 106 Lunenburg Street in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. You're going to have a chance to meet your fellow WQPH listeners, meet some of the WQPH hosts who are around locally, and together we'll have some fellowship to prepare ourselves for our Lenten journey, which will begin the following day. Also, the tickets are going to be numbered because there's going to be a drawing for a Catholic care package to help the person who wins the drawing with various little things to help them along for their Lenten journey. Now, the tickets are $45 a piece. You can get your tickets at wqphradio.org. Just click on the Donate button and put down Shrove Tuesday tickets. There may be a Shrove Tuesday ticket there. You just click on that, and again, you'll say Tickets for Shrove Tuesday. They will be available after some Masses in the local area, or you can call 617-459-8735. That's 617-459-8735. Call or text, and you can get your tickets reserved for the Shrove Tuesday brunch. Again, that's the first annual WQPH 89.3 FM Shrove Tuesday brunch, Tuesday, February 13th, the Feast of the Holy Face, 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., Slattery's Restaurant, 106 Lunenburg Street, Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Again, tickets, $45, but $40 if you get them before February 1st. Hope to see you there. This has been the WQPH 89.3 FM Community Calendar. Tim Kilcoyne, WQPH Radio 89.3 FM, offering a Lenten reflection that I hope will be practical and represent your needs, not your necessary desires. I'm reminded of a book called Three Irish Saints, St. Brendan, St. Patrick, and St. Bridget. St. Brendan was noted for being a thinker, St. Patrick a doer, and St. Bridget a lover. Now think, what must you do to balance and integrate all three of those charisms? You could go visit a monastery, sit still before the Blessed Sacrament, take some time out with a good book before Jesus. You could visit that nursing home. Maybe a grandmother or an old aunt is still there waiting. And a little casual catechesis with an old friend that needs to discover the Catholic faith. Try any one of the three or all of them. God bless you. Hello, this is Kendra Von Esch. A lot of people ask me, why are you always so happy? No matter what happens to you, you radiate this energy that is contagious. Well, it's kind of crazy when I answer them with, you know, it's God. He gave me this joy, and it is nothing like happiness. It doesn't go away, and it's because He also graced me with faith. And I have to laugh as I watch their face and their head tilt to the side like a dog looking at you with a big question mark. It typically leads to a much longer conversation about my faith, and I welcome that with open arms. If you don't have joy radiating out of every pore, beg God for it. Joy is the best net to catch fish. For more inspiration, my podcast, and free resources, go to KendraVonAsh.com. Hi, may this Lenten season lead you in meditating in the passion of Jesus, our Savior. May he surround you with his love. As we all know, the church requests us during this Lenten season to do penance and to give alms. And hopefully you can consider what this might mean for WQPH as we work to spread God's love for all of us. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Bob Young. I live in Lemonster. I want to thank WQPH for being here, 89.3 FM. Each year, over five million people venture on pilgrimage to Lourdes in southern France. Countless are the devout faithful who have received spiritual strength and physical healing at this world-famous Marian Shrine. Here in 1858, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared 18 times to a little 14-year-old girl, Marie Bernadette Subaru. The first of Our Lady's apparitions to her was on February 11th. The last was on July 16th, the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. St. Bernadette described Our Lady, whom she saw in the grotto not far from her home, as wearing a white dress and a white veil, a blue belt, and a yellow rose on each foot. Bernadette became the recipient of Mary's request for conversion through sacrifice and prayer. On more than one occasion, Our Lady repeated, Penance, 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 pray for sinners. The Mother of God also revealed to her young messenger, I do not promise to make you happy in this world, but in the other. Four years prior to Our Lady's appearances at Lourdes, Pope Pius IX had defined the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, that in view of the anticipated merits of Jesus Christ, and because she was to be the Mother of God, Mary was preserved from the stain of original sin. At Lourdes, Mary did not say to Bernadette, I was immaculately conceived, but rather, I am the Immaculate Conception thereby letting us know that she was God's very notion of this grace from all eternity. St. Bernadette Subaru later became a sister of charity at Nevers, and after a life of prayer and suffering, died on April 16, 1879. She was canonized by Pope Pius XI in 1933. Our Lady of Lourdes, pray for us. St. Bernadette, pray for us. St. John Bosco, the great friend of youth, once said, Frequent Holy Communion and Daily Mass are the two pillars of education. At Immaculate Heart of Mary School in Still River, Massachusetts, students are blessed to attend the traditional Latin Mass as part of their daily schedule. Immaculate Heart of Mary School was started in 1976 in response to the needs of families who identified a crisis in Catholic education. To the present day, the brothers and sisters of the slaves of the Immaculate Heart of Mary continue their educational mission. Immaculate Heart of Mary School, grades 1 through 12, teaches the Catholic faith and its spiritual goals with no apologies. Immaculate Heart of Mary School, preserving traditional Catholic education. For more information, contact ImmaculateHeartSchool.org. Hammond's Meditations on Conformity to the Will of God There is no interior peace where there exists attachment to self-will. Whoever has an attachment to his own will condemns himself to trouble and unhappiness. Sometimes this will comes in contact with the will of another, and then it is hurt or painfully wounded, or the heart is embittered and rendered uneasy. Sometimes it comes in contact with itself, desiring one thing one moment and the contrary another. At another it pursues what it cannot reach, or if it ends by reaching it, it quickly feels the emptiness of it and is disgusted. Thus, dragged from one side to another and torn by a thousand ceaselessly renewed desires, it is always discontented with itself or with others. It never follows its own will without being made sorrowful. It is indignant if others oppose it. It is grieved if it is obliged to renounce its desires 
or if it can satisfy them, it reproaches itself with having yielded to passion rather than to reason. And the result is a discontent with itself, which is a great enemy of interior peace. O Christian soul, says the author of the imitation, why dost thou render thyself unhappy? If your will desires to satisfy itself here below, you will never be at peace, never without trouble or anxiety, because everywhere you will meet with contradiction, everywhere something will be wanting to your happiness. Perfect conformity to the will of God gives a delicious peace to the soul. Nothing in this world can trouble the peace of him who wills only the will of God. In everything which happens, on the part of men or in events, he reveres the divine will which directs all things. And this keeps him in an unchangeable serenity of soul, which the emotions of the passions or the winds of desires cannot trouble. Lord, said David, I have seen in all things thy good pleasure, which has guided events and has led me as by the hand. In this happy state we may see everything changed and overthrown around us, but we are still in peace, because on the one hand we know that nothing happens except by the command or the permission of God, and on the other hand we desire with our whole will all that providence ordains or permits, nothing more, nothing less, nothing otherwise. It is even true to say that we are never put out, that we have always everything we wish for, that we suffer only what we will to suffer, because we wish and we will nothing but the will of God, who governs and disposes all things. Then the soul grows and raises itself above the tempests and agitations of the world into a higher region, a region of peace and serenity, where we soar above all the storms which rage here below, and which we no longer hear roaring except far beneath our feet, a region of ineffable calm where the soul reposes deliciously, overwhelmed with the love of the divine will. Then if the tongues or the malice of men shoot their arrows at us and wound us, we receive the shots not as coming from the inimical hand which has directed them, but as coming from the paternal will of God, which only makes useful wounds and can cure them when it so pleases him. Then, when prosperity arrives, we receive it not with that intoxicated joy which troubles interior peace, but with a kind of modest fear, because we appreciate the danger of it. If adversities visit us, we receive them, if not with joy of the primitive Christians, which would be far better, but at least with resignation and confidence in providence, like the holy man Job. And in the one case, as in the other, we say to God, My heart is ready, Lord, to receive from thy hand adversity as well as prosperity. Then lastly, whatever happens, the soul remains calm and at peace because it looks upon itself as being always under the eye of God, which sees all, under his power, which can do all, under his action, which concurs in all, or rather in the arms of his love, which wills all that is good for us. From the following of Christ. O Father of mercies, and God of all consolation, I give thanks to thee, that sometimes thou art pleased to cherish with thy consolation me who am unworthy of any consolation. Thou art my glory and the exultation of my heart. Thou art my hope and my refuge in the day of my tribulation. The power of the rosary is beyond question. The rosary is more than just a devotion to Our Lady. The beads and chain of the rosary itself are often a reflection of our character and our hope. 
Catholics are buried with rosaries, wound carefully about folded hands. There is no greater symbol than this of the primacy the rosary has in Catholic devotion. As Catholics, we know that the rosary is the most powerful recitation we can make when we desire a miracle or some other grace from God. By reflecting on our Blessed Mother's experiences and the life of Jesus, we become more like the woman who bore all things for the sake of obedience to God's will. The Mother of God knew the loss of her only child at the hands of unjust executioners. She witnessed the sick and the dying, and she asked Jesus to perform miracles, which he obliged his mother. We know that Mary retains this respect, so by asking for her intercession with Jesus, we too can change in accord with God's will. Sister Lucia of Fatima told us that, There is no problem, I tell you, no matter how difficult it is, that we cannot solve by the prayer of the Holy Rosary. With the Holy Rosary, we will save ourselves. We will sanctify ourselves. We will console our Lord and obtain the salvation of many souls. From the Bread of Life by Father Leonard Feeney When the priest takes up the wafer of bread at the sacrifice of the Mass, he does not say, This is God. He does not say, in the words of consecration, This is Jesus. Nor does he say, This is Jesus' spirit. The priest says, in Jesus' name, This is my body. At those words, the Eucharistic presence of Jesus, his body, and since they can never again be separated, his blood, soul, and divinity, replaces the substance of the bread. An astounding thing has taken place, and the priest, for all the rest of the holy sacrifice of the Mass, speaks of the corpus, that is, the body of Jesus. The astounding thing which has taken place is not that the same God, who is in the mountains, the skies, the oceans, and the forests, is here on the altar. To all those things, God is present by his omnipresence. The astounding thing is that here on the altar is really the body of Jesus. The eyes of Mary's child, the heartbeat of Mary's child, the hands and feet of Mary's child are here. Get that, and the rest is safe. Get that, and you will have the faith. Get that, and you will love God. And this is the wonder of transubstantiation. It is the dignity and transcendent majesty of God himself telling a created thing to move over while it moves in on its own terms. The substance of the bread entirely ceases to be, and Jesus takes its place. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. The gift shop at St. Benedict Center in Still River is a treasure chest of devotional items. True Devotionals specializes in a full line of traditional Catholic books and calendars. We also have rare and elegant religious gifts that promote a deep spiritual life, including the Center's own unique sterling silver, True Devotion Ring. In stock are tapestries, throws, and wall hangings, which feature beautiful images of Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Chestahova, Our Lady of Perpetual Help, the Holy Face, and much more. You'll find a variety of goods and ware created here in our embroidery room, such as our lovely quote totes, featuring the words of the saints as well as a section of artwork and handiwork created by the sisters. True Devotionals, 271 Still River Road, Still River, Massachusetts. Be sure to visit our website, truedevotionals.com. Well, that concludes our program for this week. We hope you've enjoyed listening to From the Housetops Radio. 
That which you hear in the ear, preach from the housetops. Until next time, God bless you. From the Housetops is produced by the slaves of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Still River, Massachusetts. 